Hello, I'm Simi Kirao, and welcome to another episode of my podcast. Today I'll be starting a new series during which we will discuss interesting books, and I will have the pleasure to introduce you to some of my favorite authors as well. As an author and lifelong book lover, I feel the experience of reading is enhanced several fold when I get to hear from the author, himself or herself. It provides that special personal touch, almost like an inscribed copy of the book, shall I say. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Flo Parfit. She is the author of the historical fiction series called Daughters of Evolution. Today we'll be talking about the first book in the series called Sarah's Sacrifice. It is based on the suffragette movement in America. Welcome, Flo. Hello, Simi. How are you doing today? Very good. How are you? I am fine. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And uh, I hope we have a wonderful conversation today. And we learn, get to learn a little about you and about your book also. Terrific. So to begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started writing? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I am a widow. I, I live in De Pere, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Green Bay, and I'm a diehard Packer fan. I, I Most of my career was spent in business administration. I was the legal administrator for a law firm for 17 years. And then I went to Warner Brothers Television as a business manager, where I was until I retired. After that, a, I took a whole new career as an author. Um, as far as writing, I guess I've been writing since I knew how to write. <laughs> but uh, of course, uh, it took a little while for me to get my, my wheels in motion. And in my 20s, I thought, well, maybe I can submit some of this stuff for publication, mostly short stories and things like that. And I, I sent them off to some magazines and got three rejections and I decided <laughs> I wasn't very good. <laughs> so uh, it was very unrealistic because I've since found out um, uh, many years later that people like Patterson and Rowlings and, and uh, Grisham had sent off 30 or 40 uh, articles that they got rejections from before they actually had their uh, works out there. So so I guess I gave up a little too early. But then after I retired, I kind of picked up the ball again, and I decided I would take a class at the university and on creative writing and got some positive feedback. And so they said, well, maybe you should do something with this. So I decided that I would start writing again. And one of the things that I started writing on was Sarah's Sacrifice, which is my first book. I put together a hook and I got some, again, positive feedback. I So I I don't know what it was, if it was divine intervention or, or uh, what, because I didn't really intend to write historical fiction, but I just became Sarah. When I sat down at my computer, it just flowed. I, I knew what I was going to do. I knew what I was going to say. And Sarah really pretty much wrote itself, <laughs> uh, which, which is a very pleasant thing. But it took me a long time to get published. It was about four years that I had the book before it actually got published. So wow. it's not an easy startup. 
<laughs> wow, but, that's that's uh, perseverance. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I, I gave up. I gave up this idea that I wasn't any good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you read the book, it feels like you're reading um, an established author. You know, not not mm -hmm. a first book. It, it doesn't seem like you're reading someone's you know first book. It's seems yeah. like you've been writing for a very, very long time. So which in fact I have been. I just yes, have that is true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, why did you choose to write Sarah's Sacrifice? Well, I've always been a strong proponent for women, women's rights, strong women in uh, in my history and, and that I've read about in the past. And and uh, it was coming up on the uh, 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment uh, passage, which is for uh, women's right to vote. And so I was kind of intrigued with that because I'm a little bit of a political or news junkie as well. And uh, so that kind of uh, intrigued me, I guess, at that point. And so when I started writing Sarah, I, I just picked up on that. And of course, when I said I, I uh, Sarah wrote itself, it's not exactly true because I had to do a ton of research. I, first of all, like I said, I'm not a historian. I'm not a uh, advocate for historic uh, works, but I had to learn everything from scratch pretty much. And I, I do actually five times more research than I actually do writing. So although Sarah wrote itself, there was a lot of background work that I had to do on that. I personally feel writing historical fiction is an intimidating task since it not only involves making sure you have all the facts in place, but also that you create the right tone setting the language, dialect, etc. Sarah's sacrifice transferred me back to those times, and I laud you for that. Reading the book was a very visual and satisfying experience for me. Yes, I, I, the history is very important, and I wanted to make sure I had it correct. So I generally would start with Wikipedia, but I know that Wikipedia is not always an accurate uh, that is source. True. But it yeah. is a very good starting point. And then from there, I would go to other um, uh, sites or places such as the Historical Society, uh, the Public Library, and uh, in other internet sites that seemed uh, plausible. And then I would compare my facts and make sure that I had it. If I had two or three that were saying the same thing, I pretty much decided that must be the correct thing. So I would do that. But like you said, there are other little things that you had to research too, such as the uh, the slang of the area, era, mm -hmm. uh, the kind of wine they drank, what kind of technology was available to them. And I don't mm -hmm. mean technology as today, but mechanicals like telephones and things like that. Uh, what the popular names of the day were. So there's a lot of things you research in addition to the history itself. I also didn't want to make it a history book. I wanted right. to make it a story that was interesting to people. So I, I did it from the aspect, not of the history, although the history is complete, the, the basis of the book. Uh, it's written from the, uh, the eye of people general people who live a life, a normal life, and how history affected them. And I looked for unusual things that maybe 
people hadn't heard of or, you know, because in the uh, process of research, you sometimes come up with little tidbits that go, like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and you but, would, uh, yeah, I think those things are important, very important, because that makes a book even more interesting. Right. So, and, um, and sometimes yeah. I, you, I writing from the, uh, the viewpoint of someone rather than the his, historians, it, it makes it more real, like, and it makes it more uh, valuable, I guess you might say, because it, you can relate to it. Exactly. The book is written from Sarah's perspective. She and her family are fictional characters, but the people she encounters, some of whom are her friends, are actual characters who are well-known forces in the suffragette movement. Can you introduce us to a few of them? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, I guess you have to start with Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who is kind of the godmother of the movement. Prior to that, there were a lot of uh, uh, suffragettes, I guess you would call them, but they worked independently. And Elizabeth realized the power in numbers and the strength of, of organization. And she put uh, together a movement uh, gathering people from all over the and organized uh, a convention in Seneca Falls in uh, mid 1800s. And uh, she got the group energized, they moved on and they were able to accomplish a lot more as an organized movement than they would have been individually. There were a few individuals who made their mark, but I, I, this certainly increased their uh, ability to move forward. Uh, she uh, put together the American Equal Rights Association, which later became the National Women's Suffrage Association. And of course, she was president of that organization. I guess the, the, the next one that I mentioned quite a bit in the book is Carrie Chapman Catt. Uh, she was born in the middle of the 1800s, and, and she kind of took over the reins from uh, Elizabeth uh, Katie Stanton. Uh, and she became president of the Women's Suffrage Association. But she also formed the League of Women Voters in 1920, actually just before the 19th Amendment was passed. And her um, reason for doing that was that she wanted women to be informed voters. And in the process, not just women, but men, if they could get the word out and uh, keep the women and other people informed, they would be better voters. And so she did her uh, part in uh, getting the, vo the vote, uh, the, excuse me, the amendment passed and um, was a really strong force in the movement. Um, maybe one of the other ones, which is kind of an interesting character and it was actually prior to all of these and one of those individuals who made a mark I uh, was Sojourner Truth. She was a black woman who, right. in, in spite of the little education she had, she actually went to court to win emancipation for her son. She was emancipated. She won emancipation for her son. And no Negro woman had ever won a case against white man in U.S. history before this time. And she had changed her name to so Sojourner Truth because she felt that it was the the name of hope. And she went across the country giving speeches and providing hope to women. And she was very um, uh, strong for 
freedom and equality. And so she made very notable mark on history. So those are those are kind of some of the characters that do show up in the book, and uh, I think add a little uh, history and uh, also showing some of the strength of some of the women that that we encountered in getting this vote passed. And I really enjoyed, um, you know, reading uh, about them. Um, like I was, as you said, uh, Sarah is the one who's uh, who. Basically, she's like a witness to history, you know, like she's witnessed history unfold. And I think even though she's a fictional character, it's like you are watching <laughs> through Sarah's eyes <laughs> and, um, you know, and kind of going through uh, the whole history of the movie. And it's it was very engaging, you know. Yeah. Um, because Sarah in this book is... Uh, uh, not just a bystander, she actually took part in the uh, movement and became a suffragette herself. And as a result of that, because her husband was very anti the suffragette movement, she was banned from her house and her family. And she had to make a decision as to whether she was going to uh, back off and become the quiet little housewife that she was meant to be in that era, or whether she was going out and fight for herself and for her children and, and try to get this vote passed to uh, uh, put the, sec the 19th Amendment in place. So she decided that she was going to go out to change the world, and she did. And she traveled throughout the United States. And, and this is her story and how it unfolded as far as the suffragette movement was concerned. Yeah, um, that is true. Like. She she pretty much um, starts up, um, you know, being this happily married woman with, uh, you know, with a husband and children. Is it three or four children? She actually had five children altogether, but one was one of uh, them. Yeah, one of them died at uh, at birth, and then uh, she had three that actually carried on through the. Uh, the uh, uh, story and and will pop up here and there as uh, characters in the book. Yeah, so uh, so the reason why she was so you know strong in the movement and that she joined the movement. Um, I mean, I, it was interesting to read that she was independently wealthy, right? Um, that, like that's she, correct. She had assets. But they became her husbands after marriage, and she had no right to her wealth, even after divorce or separation. Uh, nor did she get the custody of her children. So, uh, in conclusion, a woman was basically a man's property, and he had kind of total control over her. You know, when I read that, it was kind of shocking <laughs> to learn this, and it was like. It wasn't until like 50 or 60 years ago that women actually got some of these rights. That is correct. Uh, in Sarah's era, which would be the 1912 to 1920 era that that book, it takes place. Uh, prior to the passing of the right to vote, um, which then opened up some more doors for women and their rights, I. Uh, Women basically, and, and children as well, were property of the man of the house. 
if a woman was uh, not married, her father or her brother would be the head of the household. And in fact, if the woman had a job, the husband or father or uh, brother, whatever, whoever happened to be the designated male in her life, would actually get her paycheck. So, uh, <laughs> so she had actually nothing. She had no money. She had no rights. If the father decided that the children would school, they didn't go to school. If the father decided that, uh, uh, if there, if, the, if for example, if there was a split, the father would have the children. He could relinquish that right to the mother if he chose, but it, he was basically the uh, guardian and the, the owner of his children. And so it, it was a very uh, limiting part for women. They had no uh, rights whatsoever. They couldn't borrow money. They couldn't even own and in Sarah's case, her money had to be put into a trust because her, her parents had died. And so she had uh, some money from the estate. And so she brought that into the marriage. And when they built the house, uh, their marital property, it wasn't marital property, it was his property because that's how the law was set up. The property could not be owned by women. Uh, and and it, so it was extremely limiting. So it's no wonder that they were looking for the right to vote in a way to increase women's ability to um, survive on their own, even much less uh, thrive. So um, uh, it was a huge, huge deal to pass the 19th Amendment. And unfortunately, it looks like we still have a long way to go uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA, hasn't yet been ratified. New challenges are cropping up almost every day. Actually, when uh, it, you kind of alluded to this a, a bit, uh, when the after the 19th Amendment was passed, giving the women the right to vote, of course, things started changing, but it, it was slow. It's a slow process in any legal matter, but I... Uh, in, in the case of women's rights, as far as property and money and that sort of thing, uh, they could own property. I don't know the exact time that they were allowed to own property, but I, they couldn't take out a mortgage. They couldn't have a credit card in their name until like 1968. That was a long time. Uh, and it doesn't seem so long in the past. So it was like 50 years before they got even that far. So, you know, it, it has, uh, progress, but the, as you mentioned, the ERA did not get passed, the Equal Rights of Women, making equal rights for men and women, and uh, is still hanging out there on the books. So I, we've got a long way to go yet. Things don't appear very rosy at this time, unfortunately. On a positive note, uh, I would like to mention something that I really enjoyed reading in this book. Uh, I call them historical tidbits that are scattered throughout the book, such as the brand new Model T, uh, motor vehicles running on streets that have horse droppings, uh, skyscrapers, the Woolworth building, to name a few, and many other new and exciting things that are seen through Sarah's eyes um, and the re reader along with her. Uh, is witnessing history unfold. Um, it's a very interesting and engaging way of writing any book, historical fiction in particular. Um, for me, what 
really drove the story is Sarah's spirit uh, that grows stronger with every setback. Uh, and ultimately, she decides to go all in for the sake of her daughter and the future generations, uh, which makes her a very inspirational character. Um, so who are your personal women heroes? Did they play a role in Sarah's sacrifice, either literally or in your writing process? And if so, how? Okay. Uh, I don't know that any of these strong women, I, I have a thing for strong women. I really admire some of the strength that is portrayed in, in political figures and personal figures. And probably my personal hero is my grandmother. Her mother died when she was 12. And she had to quit school and take care of her three younger siblings and basically take on all the chairs of chores that her mother did, the cooking, the laundry, and the farm chores, all at the age of 12. And uh, until she got married and started a family of her own when she was 21. And uh, but when she was 36, her husband had a serious farm accident. Uh, and he was not able to continue working. He had a broken back and, and some other injuries, a head injury and some other things. So I, he was not able to work. So she went, they moved to the city. They'd already been hit bad by the depression and, and um, had lost part of their farm, but now they had to she lost uh, the main uh, operator of the farm. So uh, they moved to the city where she took a job in a paper mill where she worked as breadwinner of the family until she retired. Uh, she carried that burden along with a disabled husband who had type 1 diabetes, who died wow. at the age of 24. So she had a hard life, but never once did I ever hear her complain. And she was a strong woman, I have to say. That was my, my, my personal um, idol, I guess you would say. I, on a less personal note, I greatly admire uh, Golda Meir. Her family mm. migrated to, uh, to Milwaukee in the early 1900s from Kiev and on um, Ukraine. And uh, that was when she was just a child. And then her husband and she migrated to Palestine in 1921, I think it was. And uh, she became a very politicized figure. And in the 1940s, she helped found the state of Israel. And she became a politician, held, holding several offices in government, and eventually became the prime minister, uh, where she um, where she led the country from, uh, like the early 1970s. And uh, she was the first woman to hold that post. Uh, so she was a, a strong proponent of human of of uh, women's rights. And she also helped in um, the release of many of the Jewish war prisoners until she died, I think, at the age of 80. Um, but that's another strong woman. And I've, I was asked one time, if I could go back and talk to anyone, living or dead, who would I choose? And she was my, uh, my model. I, I thought that she was quite a remarkable woman. Now, these didn't play a part in Sarah's sacrifice, except in the fact that they were strong women and who knew that they were called to, what they were called to do and and met that challenge yeah and um you know we have so many uh, women throughout the world um uh like uh, 
the Prime Minister of Maya, uh, India, her, uh, Indira Gandhi, um, yes. uh, Prime Minister of uh, uh, Great Britain, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Um, so there are so many of them, um, you know, who, and, you know, stood like rocks, <laughs> basically. And we haven't had a woman president yet. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, sometimes you wonder what, you know, what's going on. It's like... Um, the rest it's of the coming. world it's is... coming Sammy. it's coming <laughs> <laughs> i hope so sarah's sacrifice is uh, is the first book in the series and the second is called ella endures do you want to tell us a bit about that book as well yes um sarah was the first of five generations of strong women that i'm portraying throughout the series uh the second is ella which is sarah's daughter and she lived through what we call the greatest generation, which would be from the uh, prohibition and roaring 20 era, era to uh, Kennedy's assassination, basically. And mm. uh, Ella uh, is um, a very strong woman, but she's, she, she's not as outgoing as Sarah was. She, she was the rock and the, uh, the glue that held the, the family together. And I, uh, through a very, very difficult time in our United States history. Like I said, pro prohibition, there were anarchism and bombings. It doesn't sound so bad day day, does it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and she was an advocate for children and the poor, and she spent time in poor houses and orphanages. And in fact, she raised eight children. Uh, two were her mm -hmm. biological children, three were adopted, and three others she took in who were her best friend's children after she had passed away, and she raised them all as her own. Um, she lived through wars, the Second World War and the recovery effort. She, had, uh, she was personally devastated when her brother was missing in action, and three of her boys enlisted. And she experienced the medical trials when her daughter con contracted polio. Uh, she also lived through a time with tuberculosis and bat she battled breast cancer herself. So there are a lot of things in this book and there are a lot of uh, bad things that happened through this entire era. And uh, she was, like I said, she was the glue that held the, the family together and moved it forward and took care of everyone. So Ella Endures is the name of the book because she certainly had a lot to endure. Took on that book uh, with a thought of uh, showing the strength of the women, but also looking at it from a little different perspective than maybe we read history. Because, for example, when we're in the World War II era, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, we hear a lot of stories about the, the devastation and the war that took place. But I did it from the nurse's perspective. The nurses mm. had to care for all of those people who were... were uh, uh, injured in Pearl Harbor. And uh, so it, it's a little different perspective than what we usually read about, although the history is there and all of the events that took place are there, but just what, what she had to endure <laughs> in, in that era. I, and I began the story, I also look for, like I said, tidbits and things that it, people don't know about or have forgotten about, or a, a little hidden pieces of history. And that book starts out with a bombing of the uh, uh, Milwaukee Police Department. 
And most mm -hmm. people, I've only ran across two people, even when, in Wisconsin, who have ever heard of that. And that mm -hmm. happened in 1917. And um, there were more police officers that were killed in that incident than there had been ever in the United States uh, until 9-11. And yet we did. Right. <laughs> and, yet, and yet we have never, never, for the most part. Yeah. 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 So I, I like finding things like that and, and bringing them out so that we don't forget. We shouldn't forget things like we that. We shouldn't forget. And, you know, it makes so much sense, uh, you know, like when you uh, look back and, you know, see what what happened in the past and then, you know, compare it to what's happening now. It, you know, it kind of um, puts things in perspective, and that's why I feel the history is important. Right. So, uh, I'm going to be getting <laughs> that book uh, for sure <laughs> next. And uh, I understand that you have another book, the third book series, which is going to be released in December, right? I believe it will be. Uh, it is at the publishers at the moment, and it's called Melissa's March. And that takes place uh, in the 1960s and 1970s when we had the protest movements going on in the United States, the anti-Vietnam anti War, the civil rights movements, uh, giving the Black community uh, their rights, uh, uh, a number of other marches, the, the uh, feminist movement, uh, all of those marches and, and uh, uh, protests were going on. And uh, Melissa, who is again, the daughter of Ella, because each of these gen is uh, generation. Um, actually, she's the daughter of Ella's daughter, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, but uh, she, uh, she was a protester and she was fighting for all of these rights. And, and that's, that's what that book encompasses. In, in and then there is going to be a fourth book. And that one's pretty much still in my head, uh, just starting that. And that one is going to cover the new millennium. Uh, I couldn't put it all in the third book because it would have been a war and peace novel. It would have been way too long. And, and, uh, and there was so much that happened, has happened since the year 2000, beginning with the 9-11 uh, bombing of the World Trade Center. And um, it's uh, it's going on from there to the current time, uh, and that will be the end of the series because I can't write history in the future. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I although, think like really, um, although I will give I, mean... a, I will give a little glimpse into what I the the fourth book is going to be called Vanessa's Voice, and I will give a little glimpse into her view of what the future will look like. <laughs> What I'm hoping too is maybe as people read these that didn't care for history so much, I, I was one of those actually. I didn't like history very much because for me it just seemed like it was all about wars and dates, and I don't. I hate dates. I hate, hate remembering. I can remember eras, you know, like this happened maybe in the 70s or 80s or whatever. But to know that something happened in 1642 or whatever, it it just was mind-boggling to me, and I didn't like it that much. And I'm hoping that through this series, people will learn and appreciate history, at the same time enjoying the the uh, enjoying in a in a provocative way the the history that took place from a 
people's standpoint from their parents and their grandparents point of view. And, uh, and it covers 100 years of history. Yeah. And that is why I like uh, historical fiction is one of my favorite genres, because I get to you know, learn history at the same time, have fun, you know, like uh, in a story format, because that is much more easier to recall and remember. So, uh, so talking about genres, who are your, some of your favorite authors and genres? Oh, I like reading a lot of different things. I, I enjoy some of the book clubs I belong to because uh, they come up with new books that I haven't, wouldn't have maybe read otherwise. And so I get to read a few things that are maybe not in my normal genre. <laughs> but I love mysteries, uh, especially with forensics or legal aspects. So I like John Grisham a lot. Um, I, I also do love the historic novels, and my favorite book on that, I guess, is Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, uh, and it is uh, based mostly in France and uh, during World War II, and uh, it, it's a very, very interesting book. Um, I, currently, one of the books that I just finished reading is Where the Crawdads Sing, and um, that's a very, very interesting book as well. So I, I guess I, I haven't limited myself, although I do like historic novels, obviously, or I wouldn't be writing them. And, I'm, and I've, as I've written them, I've gotten to appreciate them even more. So uh, that's kind of where I, uh, oh yes, and there, there's a book, um, Educated, um, by uh, Tara Westover. Uh, that's a very interesting book as well. And bo- both the crowded, where the crowded sing and educated are, are books about young women who have struggled against all odds because of the circumstances of their life, and how they uh, managed to struggle through and and became very uh, educated and um, uh, interesting people. I agree. Um, it definitely helps belonging to a book club uh, then you are forced to read uh, books of authors and uh, genres which you wouldn't have read otherwise so um, Flo who would you count as your support team of course my readers are important because they're asking when my next book will be out that's really encouraging (laughs) and I belong to three writers groups and three book clubs uh, so I'm reading a lot. <laughs> uh, and of course, the writers group in particular, they they are very critical, but in a helpful way. And that is very uh, uh, good for me because it, it, it supports me, but yet it makes me look at things differently. Uh, and um, all of the uh, supporters that I have have been um, friends and family and that type of thing. But my biggest supporter probably was my late husband. Uh, He died before I completed Sarah and he never got to read any of it. But he always asked me, how is it going? How is it going? And at one one point I I, I kind of said, well, I'm stuck. I need to kill off the old lady, but I don't know how, if I should do it now or later. And he said, he had no idea about the old lady or anything about the book and he quickly said oh no no don't kill off the old lady <laughs> I said but she has to go and we laughed about it but you know, it sounds like kind of a gruesome thing to laugh about but, but it was his way of encouraging and and supporting my my efforts as well 
I'm sure he's uh, he must have read it in heaven, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and he's there still in spirit to yeah. support you. Um, and, I, and I dedicated the book to him. So, <laughs> yeah, I I I dedicated my first book to to my dad who who passed away, and who mm -hmm. always encouraged me, who got me my first book. So, yeah, I, I never forget so those things people. yep <laughs> yeah special people in your life so um flo do you have any advice for aspiring writers i would say especially to women but anyone in general don't give up too quickly because you can get discouraged when discouraged when those rejection letters come in or you don't hear anything which is more common than even getting the rejection letters i'm because they don't necessarily mean you're bad because there's so many books out there uh, that even the best writers sometimes don't get published because they they just are not recognized because they're not they're they're not a known name or they're not a known uh, uh, they haven't had anything out in prior that can be based on it's almost impossible to get through to a large company like a Simon and Schuster if you're a brand new author and you don't have a name like uh, Hillary Clinton or Stephen King or something like that. Uh, it's it's you have to mostly go through a smaller publishing company. Uh, if you really uh, want to become a published author and it's your passion. You have to be willing to make it a priority in your life and, and dedicate your time to it. Uh, and if it's your hobby, well, that's fine. Do it for what is what it is. It, you know, keep writing. Keep writing. Yeah. So enjoy what you do and <laughs> right. you know, and, and uh, don't give up. Right. Right. So um, I would want to um, end by having you read a passage from the book, but. Uh, before that, do you have anything else you would like to share with us today? No, Simi, thank you. I, I think we covered pretty much everything, and and I appreciate the opportunity. And I do hope to talk to you again soon. So before Flo reads a passage from her book, I would like to tell the audience that Sarah's Sacrifice and Ella Endures are available on all major platforms and in all major bookstores. Go ahead, Flo. Okay, let me preface this by saying that I'm going to start with chapter one because that's always a good place to start. And uh, it's not so much to talk about Sarah being a suffragette, but to give you a little idea of what my writing style is and, and, and uh, give you an idea of who Sarah is. Um, okay. The sky lit up as fire roared into the valley. Flames reached like devil's fingers to the heavens above as, a scream, as screaming out to God himself. The blaze engulfed the big log cabin, whirled over the valley, fueling the fire. Jedediah Adams awoke to find flames licking at the walls of his home. Mandy, Mandy, wake up. His wife was sound asleep beside him. He shook her frantically as he jumped from the bed. We need to get out, the house is afire. I'll get Sarah. Amanda Adams began to choke on the smoke which ate up the oxygen in the room. She struggled to get up while led, on, led, led, well, 
Jed ran into Sarah's room. Sarah, Sarah, come quickly, Jed said. Sarah coughed. Jed wrapped his nine-year-old daughter in a blanket and carried her out into the brisk fall air. Sarah's, Sarah coughed harder as the smoke burned her lungs. Jed looked around but did not see Amanda. He panicked. Sarah, stay here. I need to get mama. He placed Sarah beneath the old oak tree some distance from the side of the house where she would be safe and Jed ran back, Jed ran back into the flames. Papa, Papa, Sarah screamed as he disappeared into the burning homestead. She stared at the house, now a skeleton in the dark. She shivered, partly from the fire and partly from the fear welling up inside of her. Her eyes widened as the sparks flew high into the sky. Neighbors heard the sounds and the smells of the fire and a nightmare for a logging community that was always on alert. The commotion outside built as the neighbors grabbed their buckets and gear to come to the rescue. It's Jed Adams' house, a voice called in the darkness. Buckets ain't gonna help, one of the neighbors yelled. The creek is dry. A recent drought had left the creek a mere mud hole. A next door neighbor saw Sarah sh shaking in the trunk at the trunk of the tree. She wrapped Sarah in a blanket and pulled her to her breast. There, there, Sarah. Where are your mama and papa? Mama didn't come out and papa went to get her. Tears welled in her eyes. Later, Sarah learned that her father never made it to her mother. It was evident mama had had succumbed to the smoke. Her charred body lay outside the bedroom door with what appeared to be a family Bible clutched in her arms. A fallen raptor must have struck her father as the neighbors found him underneath uh, remnants of wood. Now Sarah was all alone. So the story starts. So the story starts. Sarah is on her own and, and uh, she goes from there to becoming a strong young woman because she had to be strong. That's right. Thank you, Flo. It was wonderful talking to you today. Well, thank you. It, it, this has been a, my pleasure. Thank you.